вот, ладно. А Вообще-то мы собрались сегодня здесь для того, чтобы поговорить о том, что никогда не следует недооценивать важности познания поместных условий. Well, judging by your reaction, I can tell that uh, you probably didn't get a word of what I just said, did you? No. Well, this is what I said. In essence, I said, never underestimate the importance of local knowledge. And we have, in fact, just uh, learned a lesson to just how important the local knowledge might be, because when I was speaking the Russian language, you did not understand me, did you? No. But when I switched to the English language, the language that y'all, and I mean all y'all, spoke locally here, <laughs> you understood me, didn't you? Right. Hence the importance of the local knowledge. As long as we have some of the local knowledge in place, say we know a local language, we gain something, right? I mean, you and I, we have just gained this ability to even communicate with each other. Well, you still want to have more of the local knowledge in place, because depending on your location, again, you may very well miscommunicate, even if you use a common local language. Take a perfectly English word, football, for example. You say football here in the States. This is what you mean, right? I mean, what else? The Super Bowl. It's coming. Um, now, you go to New Zealand and you say football out there. Well, guess what? New Zealanders by football mean rugby. Now, you go to the United Kingdom and say football there. Now, the Brits by football mean soccer. So you have to have more of the local knowledge in place. Say you need to know your location to be able to communicate properly. Correct? Okay. So far, so good. Now, people like us, we gain this ability to communicate with each other when we exploit that concept of the importance of the local knowledge. Well, some people like bankers, they gain a lot of money on just that concept. Take that uh, uh, HSBC bank, for example. They uh, started in Britain, and then they went worldwide. They claim themselves to be the world's local bank. And I want you to uh, see a video clip that they shot. Here it is. Yes. 
You heard them saying, at HSBC, we never underestimate the importance of local knowledge, particularly when it comes to your money. And that's exactly the concept I want you to keep in mind when you consider giving to a mission. Make sure that the mission you're giving to is local enough to be able to handle the job locally. But don't you think it was the bank that invented this whole concept of the importance of uh, the local knowledge? Because Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, practiced just that approach while on earth in flesh. Take a look at this map, if you would. This is the map of the Palestine of the time of Jesus. And you have the Jordan River parting one side from the other side. Now, we all know that Jesus was born in a little town of Bethlehem. And then he was brought to Jerusalem to be represented at the temple. And then, of course, uh, the whole family fled to Egypt uh, that way. And then, when it became more or less safe, they uh, came back and uh, resided in the town of Nazareth. Now, when Jesus grew up to the age of about 30, he made a trip to the Jordan River, where he was baptized by John the Baptist. And uh, from there, Jesus went into the wilderness where he was tempted by uh, Satan. And uh, from there, Jesus uh, returned back to Nazareth and uh, made a couple of trips to Nine and to Sychar, performed all kinds of miracles, and then he went to the town of Capernaum. Now, in the town of Capernaum, Jesus called his first disciples, and uh, together with the disciples, Jesus was traveling all over the area, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Eventually, they made it back uh, to Capernaum, to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that day, when evening came, says the Bible, and I'm reading from Mark 4.35, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. Now, we all know that the Bible is the word of God, right? Right? Well, good. Good start. <laughs> so, whatever's in the Bible then has to have some utmost importance to it, correct? All right. You tell me then what's the utmost importance of this little phrase, let us go over to the other side, is since the phrase made its way into the Bible. It's right here in red. Jesus said that. What's the big deal? Can you tell? Well, just by looking at the map, you can tell that Jesus, by the age of 30, had never been to the other side as of yet, which is already a big deal, right? I mean, it's a totally unknown territory. Right. You read the Bible closely and you realize that uh, there were, in fact, way many more differences uh, between this side and the, the other side than just that. I mean, take the matter of uh, healing the sick, for example. On Jesus' side, 
the sick whom Jesus healed were sick, but they were sort of a kind of a peacefully sick, if I may use that expression. Well, there was this man with a withered hand, and uh, there was a leper whom Jesus uh, cleansed, and uh, there was Simon's mother-in-law who had a fever, and uh, they were sick, but they were not like demon-possessed or anything. Now, Jesus goes over to the other side, across the sea, and when Jesus got out of the boat, says the Bible, a man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained uh, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, wouldn't you say he was kind of different on the other side? All right. Take um, the matter of uh, Jesus' popularity, for example. On Jesus' side, his popularity was growing at all times. I mean, remember, at first there was no room big enough to hold all the followers of Jesus who wanted to uh, see Jesus performing miracles on the sick. They had to take the roof of the house out to bring yet another rather peaceful paralytic in. Well, eventually the crowd of followers grew so big that there was no square big enough in a town to hold all the people who wanted to hear Jesus preach. So Jesus had to move away from the town to preach in the fields. Well, eventually, the crowd of Jesus' followers grew so big that Jesus had to get into a boat so that the crowd would not crash him. Now, Jesus goes over to the other side and casts out a legion of demons from that man into a herd of swine, and he sends the herd into the sea, and the herd drowns. Do you think that made the locals happy with Jesus? But of course not. Well, first of all, they lost everything they had, all of their possessions. And second, the Bible is plain clear about it. It says they were afraid. And so I just love the way the Bible puts it so mildly. It says, then they began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. I mean, we all know what that meant, right? I mean, they wanted Jesus out of the picture. Get out. That's basically what the locals told Jesus in response. But probably the most fascinating difference between this side and the other side lays in the fact that on Jesus' side, when somebody would finally recognize who Jesus was, you know, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself in flesh, Jesus would always tell that person, please, don't tell anyone who I am. My time hasn't come yet. Now, Jesus goes over to the other side and emits such a hostile response on the part of the locals that Jesus, in fact, totally changes his strategy. As Jesus was getting into the boat, says the Bible, 
to go back to his side studies, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, though, did not let him, but said, no, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So the man went away, that way, and began to tell in the region how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. You see what just happened? Jesus goes over to the other side, meets such a hostile response on the part of the locals that Jesus delegates the responsibility for spreading the gospel over at the other side to a local man. The local man wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, oh, no, 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 you go that way, you go further, you tell them, your people, what happened to you. Well, Jesus does go back to his side and visits a couple of cities along the route and then goes over to the other side once again. And the huge crowd of 5,000 men plus women plus children is waiting for Jesus over at the other side for three days. And Jesus feeds them with both the word of life and the bread of life. Now, you tell me, who told them that Jesus was coming again? The local guy did. I mean, look no further. He was the only one who knew anyway, and he was charged with that responsibility, and apparently he was local enough to be able to handle the job locally beautifully well. And so the 5,000 men plus women plus children were a direct output of fruit of Jesus partnering with a local with regards to spreading the gospel over at the other side. And you may say, well, fine, it might work with bankers. And it certainly works with Jesus. Mind you, everything works with Jesus. Only what does it have to do with us? Green Street Baptist Church. Well, it does, because frankly, not much, if anything, really, has been changed, not in that regard anyway, since the time of Jesus. They had the Jordan River parting one side from the other side. Well, guess what? You have the Atlantic Ocean parting you all from us in Russia and the former Soviet Union. In fact, whatever country you go to, the country that sends missionaries, there is always a huge divider between them and us in the Soviet Union. But people know of the example that Jesus left with us in the Bible with regards to doing mission overseas. Because think of it, in a sense, Jesus was the first missionary overseas when he went over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Was he not? Right. And so people follow Jesus' example, and they send missionaries overseas. In fact, I know of a person who started in North Carolina and went over to the other side, to Moscow, Russia, and of all the people out there, he got in touch with this crazy guy. This is how I looked some 35 years ago. I was a KGB agent, undercover. My nickname with the KGB was the Tin Man. Remember that character from the Wizard of Oz story? Now, why would you call the Tin Man anyone with the KGB? Any guess? No heart? And heartless I was. And so the fact that the KGB executed 
200,000 ministers in Russia and demolished 40,000 churches in Russia over the span of 70 years of communist captivity did not bother me a bit. And heartless I was. Why should I care? Now, they paid me too. Uh, they paid me some five times better than uh, the national average. And for you to get a glimpse of just how it felt, multiply whatever you have. And I mean your income, your possessions, your savings, your 401k, everything. Multiply it by five, and I mean it literally, and see how it feels. Be honest now. Does it feel good? Yes, it does. That's how I felt anyway. I thought I arrived, and, and if I had some moral remorses about what I did for the KGB, I could always come up with a good excuse for doing the wrongs. My best excuse, of course, being, well, I have to provide for my family. And it was my family which uh, set me up one day. Uh, my daughter, she was nine uh, years of age. She came back home from school. And uh, she said that um, she had made a new friend at school. And my daughter claimed that uh, uh, the father of the new friend was a Christian missionary from the United States of America. And I looked straight into her eyes and I said, you better be kidding, girl. Well, think of it my way. She said that he was a Christian. And I was, of course, a member of the Communist Party. I was an atheist. Therefore, I claimed there was no God. She said that he was a Christian missionary. And I was, of course, a KGB agent. So in my eyes, all these missionaries were spies. And I had to take care of those by profession. She said that he was a Christian missionary from the United States of America. And that, of course, made, made it all even worse because I was such a pro proud product of the Soviet Union, I thought we needed no help from the United States of America. Thank you very much. And so I got so disappointed with my own daughter that I didn't believe her. Instead, I went to her school and I talked with her teacher. Only the teacher confirmed that there was, in fact, a couple from the United States of America. And the teacher also said that the couple was looking for a Russian tutor, which almost devastated me rather. Because as we say back in Russia, up in heavens, everybody is going to speak the Russian language because it takes eternity to learn it. <laughs> oh. I mean, we laugh at it now, I understand, no problem. But believe me, I was not at the moment, because that very moment I realized they were not tourists, as I had hoped they were, but came to stay. And that, of course, made me even more concerned with the situation. Well, I was a KGB agent, so I came up with a plan to investigate the case to them, reported to my KGB authorities. I recalled the fact that uh, uh, my wife just happened to be a professional Russian as a second language instructor. She taught at a military academia in Moscow, Russia, where officers from third world countries like Guatemala, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua would come to get trained in military operations in Russia 
Only to do so, they would have to go through a very rigorous course on the Russian language by immersion, a year-long course, too, so that then they could take classes at the military academia in Russian. So my wife did that for a living. And I, of course, utilized that to my advantage. I made my wife teach the missionaries, and that gave me a chance to spy over the family. Now, I was a KGB agent undercover, so I made it look completely innocent. I would just go there to their place, and I would just sit there, pretending I was there to wait until my wife would get through with her lesson. Whereas, I was, of course, there to listen to what they were talking about. And frankly, all they talked about was God. They played it smart, I admit. They uh, wanted my wife to use the Bible as their textbook, and all they wanted to learn was how to say the Lord in Russian, and uh, how to say, here comes Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world in Russian, and how to say, and whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but have everlasting life in Russian now. So in about a half a year of just listening to that stuff, I got converted. <laughs> well, oh, hey. well, at least in my head, I gave God a chance to even exist, which for me, a KGB agent, was in fact a huge step away from my atheistic realm. But the missionaries from this side, they were not just talkative about God, they were also very pushy about God. Some half a year down the road, uh, they pushed me into that you know, praying business and reading the Bible business. They gave me a copy of the Bible, the New Testament, in the Russian language, and they made me read it. Oh, yeah, I didn't want to blow my cover, so I yielded. And since I had but the New Testament, I started with the Gospel of Matthew. Well, I read it fine, and then did the Gospel of Mark, okay. And then I progressed to the Gospel of Luke. Now there, I stopped because I ran into a portion of the Gospel of Luke, the portion depicting Jesus talking with his disciples. And among other things, he tells them this. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts, to your children, then how much more so will the Holy Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And I was just dumbfounded right there because that very moment I realized that uh, Jesus knew me better than I thought he did because the first part of what Jesus was saying applied to me perfectly well. I mean, I knew I was an evil man. I was a KGB agent. But I also knew how to give good gifts to my child. And that made me think. I was thinking, right, if the first part of what Jesus is saying applies to me this well, then what if the rest of what Jesus is saying applies to me as well? And basically, I put God to a test. I followed the guidelines of the scripture. I just read and I simply asked the Father of the Spirit just as the Bible prescribed, and bang, I looked up and I saw the Lord.
And I mean, I saw the Lord just as clearly as I'm seeing you now. And mind you, I was not a psycho. I mean, I was a KGB agent. Hard as a nail, tough, you know, stiff neck. So this was not a mental image. This was the Lord. I bet you there was a conversation between the father and the son. The father saying to the son, unless you yourself show up, this hard-headed, stiff-necked agent ain't going to believe, will he? So the son shows up, I believe. I got a good kick in the rear. Now, the, the, the Lord was standing, and the Lord was putting down the Holy Spirit right inside of me. I didn't know how to react, so I raised my hands to the Lord. I felt like I was a jar of clay or something, and the the the. The Holy Spirit felt like pure gold, only liquid. And I was filled up with the Holy Spirit of God all the way to the brim. Now, that was my conversion by heart, because in my heart I knew Jesus was God. I saw him. Well, I go back home, uh, and this is how I look. (laughs) My wife meets me in the door, and she says, what's wrong with you? I said, what's wrong with me, honey? She said, you're smiling. You see, I had never smiled before. She married me because her father, a KGB colonel himself, never smiled either. I mean, there was really nothing to smile about with the KGB. So my wife honestly thought that it wasn't even proper for a man to ever smile. Now... Apparently, Jesus made me smile that day without me realizing that. And, of course, my smile gave me away. And uh, since I was a baby in Christ, then I didn't find anything more suitable than to tell my wife that I became a Christian now. Now, she, in turn, confessed to me that she had become a Christian even earlier than I did. Only she was scared to death to talk about it with her husband, a KGB agent. And so, there we were, two complete babies in Christ. I mean, frankly, we had no idea what to do with it. None whatsoever. So, we decided we would read a little bit more of the Bible. Because, after all, we thought it was the Bible which got us all started on that track, which we did, only to find out that those who accepted Jesus Christ in the Bible would then plant a church. Oh, All right, so be it, we said, and we planted a church in Moscow, Russia, in 1991, and I was still a KGB agent undercover. I mean, imagine that church plant. (laughs) (laughs) Only then, I had my third conversion. You see, I had three. One by head, one by heart, and one by guts. Because one day, I learned by my guts what the call of the Lord on my life was. And the call was to replenish the lost, to replenish the lost, which to me, a KGB agent, still translated into the need to replenish 200,000 ministers that the KGB executed and planned 40,000 churches that the KGB demolished. And of course, I had no idea how to follow the call. Too big. One thing I did learn, though, with the call was that uh, uh, there was no way I could keep both my faith and my job because they were not such a sheer contradiction with each other. So I decided I would uh, quit one or the other. Well, I couldn't quit my faith because I saw Jesus Christ with my own eyes. 
And I couldn't quit the KGB either, because you don't quit the KGB just like that. Uh, in fact, in my days, there were two, and two only reasons on the basis of which you could quit the KGB. You could either go cuckoo or drop dead. And frankly, none of the options I quite liked. <laughs> well, so I decided I'd wait. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited until an opportunity represented itself. You might actually remember those days, you know, Reagan talking to Gorbachev, tear down this wall, the Berlin Wall, a glasnost and perestroika. Well, in those days, Russia opened up to the world. And a lot of Americans rushed right in, looking for an opportunity to do free enterprise. And the Russians just loved it. I mean, they had been deprived from that for 70 years of communist captivity. So it felt so fresh, so unnew to them that back in Russia, everybody decided he or she would do free enterprise from now on. So the push from within the Russian society was so huge that even the KGB had to respond to it. And they did by introducing yet the third reason allowing KGB agents to swap their jobs, the reason being doing free enterprise. Only if you opted for that reason, you had to prove that the free enterprise that you claimed you'd be doing would pay you better than the KGB, which of course was a joke. I mean, think of it. Nobody could possibly beat the KGB on the money. This was rather a trick designed to prevent KGB agents from fleeing. Well, the Lord worked it out. There was a man who accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior at the very church in Moscow that we planted. And he just happened to be the president of a company. So I shared my concert with him, and he, in return, wrote me a nice little letter on the letterhead of his company. I mean, he signed it and everything. It looked official. Basically, the letter was saying that the company was offering me a job much better paid than uh, the KGB. And of course, I knew just the number to quote. So with that letter, I went to the KGB, showed them the letter, and asked if they could beat the deal. Well, they couldn't. And so they let me go, and I never told them what I was actually doing, and I never worked for that company either but for some good four years, they were covering me with that letter as if I worked for them. I guess I went undercover once again. And then they rather ruthlessly fired me and the church hired me on the spot. But the call of the Lord remained the same and I was frantically looking for some opportunity to fulfill the call. And here comes one mission society from over this side to Russia. Uh, 501c3, 130 years old, as a part of the commission movement, going to Russia, uh, in Greenwood, Indiana, stationed. So, and they planned the Moscow Seminary. Because all I could think of was how to turn the hammer and the sickle into the cross and the crown of Jesus. And so I joined the seminary that one mission society from this side planted in Russia. Became the first student. And then the seminary grew like crazy because with the seminary, I thought we could multiply the effort. I mean, think of it. I could probably, could have probably planted another church and maybe yet another church in my lifespan, but through a seminary, you could train 30, 60, or 100. 
church planters simultaneously and then send them forth to saturate the land of Russia with the word of God. And it worked perfectly well. You get them all in class. This would be a class, an average class, like 120 at the Moscow Seminary do the teaching. And then you would push them to the corridor and you would do foot washing in the corridor. Because you cannot be a Christian in theory. You can only be a Christian in practice. And then, of course, you would uh, graduate them and uh, you would uh, bless them for uh, ministry. And they would go to uh, Russia um, and plant churches, about 30 churches at any given moment in time. In fact, like right now, I have 577 full-time uh, student ministers. So I have a very good chance of fulfilling the call of the Lord on my life within my lifespan. With your help, though, well, think of it. It costs me $1,200 a year, 100 bucks per month, to train a minister in Russia. Well, how much does it cost for you to send your kid to a college in the States these days? Full ride? Give me a number. Yeah, probably 25, right? 25,000. Well, compared to that, uh, 1,200 that I need to train a minister in Russia is what? 20 times better deal, right? Well, the problem, though, that I have with the idea of sending somebody uh, to uh, the States to study at a Bible college is that try sending 10. You will be lucky if one comes back. They get in and they get comfortable. They never come back. So I would much rather have them trained for 20 times less and 10 times more secure in Russia, in Russian, and for Russia. And by the way, I have a hundred of Ukrainians in my student body at the center. And the only way to uh, stop the war is to preach the peace of Christ. Okay? And we're doing it full fledged. Now, I will ask uh, uh, Jonathan to help me out. Um, there are brochures. And you just pass them on on the table. Take a few. Um, they will explain you how to support the Moscow family. We need your help. We can make it happen. You know, Jesus did it that way. Jesus went over to the other side and partnered with the local. And it brought forth a huge fruit of 5,000 men plus women plus children. Now, you partner with the Moscow family. It is as local as it gets. It can handle the job locally. And you will have your reward 200,000-fold. Now, these days you cannot go to Russia at all. Russia completely closed its borders uh, to any kind of mission work. In fact, you can't even get a tourist visa uh, to Russia. But I live there. I don't need no passport. I don't need no visa. I speak the most... Uh, difficult language on the planet, and I know the local culture. And so do all of my 577 students. They will be by far more effective than any missionary ever be. Uh, yes, it took a missionary for me to get going, and it took a whole mission society uh, for the Moscow Seminary to get going. But at some point, you want to turn it into the hands of the locals, because locals can do, if trained. And so to um, report to you on uh, the fruit on your investment, um, I invite you to leave me your uh, email address right here. And I have another one. 
and yet another one. Because I will hook you up with an actual student for you to know what your investment produced in Russia. Okay? So, and now, as you're getting brochures and leaving me your uh, emails, I'm willing to answer your questions. Any questions? Do we have any restrictions with regard to what we can say? No, we do not. Quite paradoxically, these days, uh, Christians are in favor uh, with the government because Christians uh, preach the peace of Christ, and that's what the government wants. The government does not want people to go and protest on the streets. So you preaching peace of Christ, oh, you're very welcome. And on the top of that, you know, these oligarchs, they've stolen everything from the people of Russia. And uh, now their concern is for someone else not to steal from them. And so they say, make sure you teach the don't steal command and real well. And as a result of that, uh, the Moscow Seminary has a federal level license granted to it by the Ministry of Education of the Russian Federation to uh, train Christian ministers and religious personnel for the church. Beats me. I mean, the good news about me and my background is that with my background, I cannot possibly take credit for what's happening in Russia. The Lord gets the credit. Now, uh, Christianity has become a mass movement in Russia, Ukraine, and uh, Moldova, and Belarus, in the former Soviet Union. Um, so the KGB watches you these days not because you're affiliated with God. They don't care. But because... Uh, you have become a mass movement, and you know, any mass movement can potentially overthrow um, the government. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, when we just started in 1990, there was but one Protestant church, the Central Baptist Church, in the whole city of Moscow. Nowadays, there are over 450 churches in Moscow only, so it's spreading like fire. We're having real bad time uh, with just coping with the demand for uh, training at the seminary. So I would like my dorm, my dormitory would be a, a, a flat. And I would stick uh, 24 ministers to a flat amounting to 1,000 square feet. I mean, you do the math. I mean, it's almost inhumane. It's bunk beds all over. But what do you do? They come in big numbers. You train them. You send them forth. And now they plant churches. So it's worth it. No, no restrictions. No. I'm planting a church myself. Uh, I have been doing it since 2005. Uh, I preach Christ and Him crucified at the Moscow Country Club openly. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And they let me. The politicians and the oligarchs. They let me. Is it permitted to teach children about God? No. Is it permitted to, te to teach children about God? No, unfortunately, there is a law that prohibits uh, us from uh, involving minors in any kind of religious activity. So back at the seminary, we limit the age to 18 to 35. 18 is because we don't want to violate that law. And 35 is because every student of mine is on a scholarship from you. 
and we want them to stay in ministry for at least 20 years afterwards. Because if we didn't limit the age, we would have been not just uh, overwhelmed, but probably overthrown by the number of applications we were getting. But, you know, you, you do understand that a group like this can easily plant 50 churches in Russia. If every family here throws in 100 bucks a month, you get your 501c3 receipt, we get the money, we send a minister for you. Well, think of it, how much of an impact you can produce over at the other side. Questions? Well, good. So back to you, Pastor. Good. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Sasha, what, what a blessing to get to hear from him tonight. And uh, I don't know when the last time Green Street got to hear somebody with a Russian accent. So the, what a special blessing you'll be able to have tonight to be able to say, you, if you missed Wednesday night, let me tell you, you need to hear it. So we are going to get a chance to put this on our normal sermon audio uh, place where it goes. And so if you're subscribed to the, the Podbean app or if you go on our website, greenstreet.org, if there's anybody who says, I hate I missed that, you can tell them that they can... Uh, go on and be able to hear this later on as well and, uh, and to be able to find out more. So we're excited. Thank you for sharing uh, just a ministry opportunity tonight, Sasha, and just uh, a way that we can be praying for you and, and look at and examine as a church uh, how we can, we can uh, be involved in that ministry. So thank you. Uh, what a great word about uh, Jesus and going to the other side and just a, a way to challenge us in that. Uh, let's all stand together. We're going to be dismissed in prayer tonight. And just a reminder, there's clipboards going around and papers. If you didn't get one, you can come see me if for some reason things didn't make it uh, to where you were. Uh, But thank you so much for being here tonight. Let's say a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you that you are involved not only on our side, but on the other side. And so all across the globe tonight, Lord, there are things uh, that are going on. There are ways that you're involved that just... Uh, we can't even imagine. And Lord, there's so many people that we will not meet this side of heaven, but we know that you know each name and each face and each situation. And so Lord, uh, just as Sasha shared tonight, thank you that in sometimes in the living rooms of, of people that, that you do mighty works and you, uh, uh, you, you break through to those who need to believe in a way that's so powerful and we can only give credit to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of those who are involved. Uh, we do just lift up these church planners all across Russia and the way in which they're doing work for their own people uh, that we could never replicate, even with those who would, uh, would come and seek to serve and, and to do so and to give, give their lives in a way that you would call them, Lord, that there's a special blessing in knowing uh, that Russians are reaching Russians. And so we just ask for your blessing upon that and just ask that you'd be with Sasha, with others who are involved uh, in the seminary, uh, that you would just help them to be able to, uh, to train and to care for and to, uh, to raise up pastors and to raise up missionaries and church planters uh, to be able to serve and to go and to, to give the words of life uh, that come only from Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the hope that is in you. Uh, and through that message, we praise you and we thank you for a chance to be together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.